Port Clinton, Ohio. Oh boy, it's so fun to be here. It was great getting an opportunity to drive across the bridge this morning, and the sun was coming up, and I tell you, it's, uh, it's just a beautiful area up here, so it's always good to be with you, and uh, I tell you what, we are kind of trucking along through uh, the wisdom literature, right, over these last seven weeks. I just preached on Envy a couple of weeks ago, and we've gone through the whole gamut, haven't we? Uh, we've looked at the seven deadly sins. We've looked at pride and anger and envy and gluttony and sloth and greed, and now we've got lust. Okay, so this is uh, an important, important topic that we're going to be looking at today. And I want to begin by really saying that in order to, to really be honest about this topic, we're going to talk about some things that then might be just a little uh, too mature for any of the kids that might be here that are, you know, younger than middle school. So parents, guardians, you may just want to consider that uh, during this time. And I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Uh, also, we recognize kind of the the sensitivity too of this topic. It, it might bring up some some past wounds uh, of of sexual trauma, uh, maybe that you've gone through in the past or. Maybe even that you're, you're currently going through. And just let me tell you that my heart goes out to you. If you've gone through that or you're going through that, uh, my heart really just breaks for you. And we want to be able to, to help in whatever way that we possibly can today. Uh, and so with these things in mind, I thought that it would be more important than ever just to kind of start the service off uh, in prayer today. Dear Lord God, we just love you so much. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and that we get an opportunity just to connect with you. We thank you that we're able to worship you today in spirit and in truth and to sing from our hearts for, for your honor and for your glory. And dear God, I pray right now that you would just please be with us as we dive into your word about this important topic of lust. Dear God, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted, that you would cleanse us, dear God, as well. And Lord, I pray that more than anything, that if we are struggling through this, which all of us have at different points in time, Lord, I pray that we would have freedom, freedom that is found in you and you alone. So, Lord, I pray that this service, that your Holy Spirit would truly just penetrate deep into our hearts today, for it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, what's interesting is there's uh, kind of a number of different things that really have been invented for legitimate and for specific purposes, right? And unfortunately, people over time have really misused these things in a negative or a harmful way. For example, here in my pocket, I have, oh yes, the phone, right? Here we go. Alexander Graham Bell invented the phone. And guess what? The phone was actually supposed to be used to talk to people, right? <laughs> that was the whole purpose of the phone, to really talk with people. I've tried to explain that to my 15-year-old and 10-year-old, and, and let me tell you, that is sometimes a challenge because many times it can be used for it can be used for games, it can be used for all kinds of apps and all the things that are there, okay? What's interesting is with the invention of the smartphone then, the phone has become almost too smart for us in some ways, right? Too smart for us, and we have had a tendency to become addicted to them in a lot of ways, and it leads us to always having to 
to have it. In fact, if we don't have it with us sometimes 24-7, we're always like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Have you seen my phone? What happened to my phone? We start to have this almost anxiety that begins to penetrate our hearts. We can't find our phone. If you break your phone, oh boy, then we really got issues, right? It's weird how something that was made to really connect people sadly has led us to disconnect with people. So many times I do marriage counseling and I talk with different couples and many times they'll say, he's on his phone all the time or she's on her phone all the time. They never, he or she doesn't want to talk anymore. They just don't want to go eyeball to eyeball anymore to really connect. And so something that was made really to connect people sadly has disconnected. And it's even caused people uh, problems even at work where there's just the constant need to always be on it. Another thing that was made for a specific purpose and was supposed to be something for good is right here. The credit card, right? Yeah. Don't copy my number, please. <laughs> it's on the back anyway. So, uh, so, but you know what? The credit card. This was supposed to be something made to really help with different purchases, right? And it's supposed to be something, hey, we, we buy something with it. We can pay it off. One of the coolest things is you can make money off the credit card companies. If you pay it off every single time, they'll pay you money at the end. That's the beautiful thing. But far too often, what do we do? Far too often, we misuse it, don't we? We misuse it. And so we're constantly putting more and more and more things on the card, even though we can't afford it. And we're way, way out of our budget with that. And so it's causing all kinds of potential problems within even the marriage relationship as well. And so, once again, it's something that is misused, and then it can cause this crushing debt, right? It can cause a crushing debt. Here's the deal. It's the same thing in many ways when it comes to sex, okay? When it comes to sex, what God created for good somehow is all marred and twisted in our world today. What was meant to be a beautiful gift is now looked upon as some type of ordinary commodity in some ways. What was meant to lead us to further worshiping our creator and worshiping God in such a beautiful way has led to some type of idolatry of worshiping other people. It's not the way that it was intended. It's been misused. So what's caused this to happen? Why does the allure then of lust wrap itself around our hearts in some ways? And it kind of refuses to let go. And how can we find freedom once and for all from this entanglement that can be so strong and addictive? The way we're going to approach the message today is kind of like the three L's, Okay. This is the, the outline that we're going to be looking at. Love, lust, and liberation. Liberation, freedom, that what God can do through the power of his spirit. So we're going to start out, let's begin with love. See, Solomon is, is writing to his son, okay? He's writing to his son about what love expressed within a marriage should look like. Check it out. This is what it says in Proverbs 5. It says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain, a blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife 
of your youth. Yeah. Notice the word Solomon uses to describe his son's wife. Check it out there in verse 18. It's blessing, right? See that blessing. In most instances, including here in verse 18, the word blessing, it means this. It means God-given. God-given. That God has given you the person that you are to call your wife or to call your husband. That is God that's given you this wonderful, wonderful blessing. Solomon is reminding his son that his wife is a literal gift from God himself. Now, if you're sitting by your wife or husband today, I want you to turn to them right now and say, you are a gift. Say, you, let me tell you, you are God's gift to me. God's gift to me. You need to tell her, tell her that. Tell him that. When you go home today, too many times we say, well, you didn't take out the trash. You didn't do the laundry. You didn't mow the yard. You didn't rake the leaves. You got tons of leaves. Okay, okay. This is your gift. God has given you this person to share a life with. Too many times we look at all those negative things. We're not looking at the fact that God's blessed you with a gift. It's interesting. God created love within the marriage in the first place, right? He's the one that's the author and the creator of marriage. If you go back to the beginning of Scripture and we read the story of Adam and Eve and we read what takes place in that first ever marriage, check this, Genesis 2, 24. This explains why man, he leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one, right? The two are united into one. I just did a wedding yesterday. Outdoor wedding in November. It wasn't too bad, though. But I tell you what, I kept hitting it over and over again. The two are becoming one. This is a marriage covenant. This is between you and God. You need to take these vows seriously that we're embarking upon right now. Because this is what God is ordaining. So when God institutes marriage between a man and a woman, he brings those individual lives together. They leave father and mother and they cleave to each other. That's God's way of doing it. It it is uniting the two souls so that they can share the most intimate and self-giving emotional, relational, physical, and sexual bond possible. Yeah. What a blessing. What a gift. Also, it's no accident that right after this, we read this in 225. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt No shame. There was no shame at this point. Adam and Eve were free, both as individuals and as a married couple. They were free. And as a result of this, they could love one another in such a beautiful way, selflessly, including sexually, without fear, without shame. For they were honoring God with the blessing that God had given them. Unfortunately, we know what happens next, right? We know that sin enters in to the world. And there's all the fear. And there's all the shame that begins to take place. Solomon, though, he's talking to his son, right? Earlier on, he's talking to his son about his wife, and he's saying his son, to his wife is a blessing to his son. And in order to honor God with the gift and the blessing, and to be able to live without the shame, sex must stay within the confounds 
of marriage. It must stay within the marital vows. So important to recognize. In a world where it just says, ah, you can just have sex with anybody, anytime, any, no, 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 no. Scripture is very, very clear, no, that it's to stay within the marital vows. To illustrate this, Solomon uses the metaphor of water. This is what he says in each one of these. In 15, drink water from your own well. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets? Let your wife be a fountain of blessing. Isn't that good? You see, just as, as water, what does it do? It quenches a person's physical thirst, right? Sex within marital love will quench a person's sexual thirst within that marriage relationship. Unfortunately, though, for many, we look to other wells to quench this, this hunger or this thirst that is there. And it's no wonder that so many times people are still so incredibly thirsty. That brings us then to the word lust. Solomon shares this warning, okay? And it's a very, very important warning to us. He says, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. Too many times we, we fall into this temptation, okay? And we know there's going to be lots of temptations that are coming our way when it comes to this. But that's where we have to have God's strength to resist those temptations. This is what Tim Keller says here. He says, it's one thing to recognize and appreciate someone's physical attractiveness. It is another thing to be intentionally driven to possess someone's beautiful body for your own. Or how about C.S. Lewis? Strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants pleasure for which a beautiful woman is a necessary piece of apparatus. Wow. It's pretty powerful when you stop and think about it. That sometimes is viewed in such a, a twisted way. Or how about Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 28? But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm doing good, you know? I haven't had adultery. I'm, I'm doing good. But wait a second here. Jesus, one thing that's always so great about Jesus is he's always looking at our heart. He's always trying to look deep within our heart, isn't he? And he's saying, have you, have you lusted after another woman outside of your wife? If you had, then that sin, it needs to be repented of. And so one of the important things that we need to do is let God convict us in those situations and then repent and then feel his forgiveness, his cleansing power, and his strength then to be able to walk intimately with him, to have that close relationship with God. But if we keep pushing God out, that's not going to solve any of the, the problems that are there. It's interesting, with Jesus, sometimes it could sound extreme there. But Jesus knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and how our lingering looks are basically like a slippery slope in many ways. As we continually just look, oh, I'm just looking, I'm not touching, I'm not sure, I'm just looking. Well, you know what happened? That's a slippery slope. And it's going to lead to even more thoughts and potentially in the end, even more regrets that are there. So we have to understand something very important, that love is all about giving to others, while lust is about getting from others, right? 
That's what we have to understand. Too many times we get that mixed up. Love, it's all about giving. Lust is all about getting. The other thing, too, is love is about selflessly giving ourselves for the betterment of someone else. That's that sacrificial love. That's the love that a husband is supposed to have for his wife, a wife for her husband. But lust is about selfishly getting from others to satisfy our own desires, no matter what it costs you or what it costs the other person. I'm going to get what I want, when I want, how I want, because I deserve this. I've had a rough day. It's been a bad day. Things have gone on horrible, and so I can do what I want. Wait a second. That's not love. And that's lust. And we rationalize. We justify. Man, we got to watch this. See, Solomon illustrates it this way. Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Notice that Solomon uses honey as a metaphor here for lust. See, honey is, is sweet, right? It can taste delicious. You go to Cracker Barrel, you go to Bob Evans down on the farm. You know, you go to these places, you get a little bit of that honey, and you get some of that honey on a biscuit. Oh, boy. That can taste good, right? It can be sweet. It can be delicious. But you're not going to go into Bob Evans today after church and say, just give me some honey, honey. No. You're not going to say, all I want is some honey, and you're just going to take the honey and start drinking it. That'd be crazy. You're not going to do that, right? But here's the deal. Eating honey, as we know, is never going to give our body nourishment. In fact, anything, if we have too much of it, it's going to give our stomach some type of twists and turns, right? It can make you sick. Solomon says this. In the end, she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Whoa. It's pretty intense. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. It tastes sweet and delicious for a short period of time. That gratification is very short-lived. But what happens is you want more and you want more and you want more of it until it has an adverse effect on us, leading to dire consequences. It can strangle our souls in many ways. It can lead to the death of the relationships that we value the most. It can lead to the death of our marriage relationship. It can lead to the death of these important relationships because we've allowed ourselves to get totally addicted in this area. It could be as powerful as alcohol or drugs or even more. Here's the problem. When we look at this, it heads to pornography, right? The stats on pornography, if you've ever checked this out, guys, it's startling. It's absolutely startling. $3,075.64 is spent on porn every second on the internet. One in five mobile searches is for pornography today. 51% of male students, 32% of female students first view porn before their teenage years. The first exposure to pornography 
among men is usually 12 years old. And then this one, pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. These are all statistics by Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is, a, is an amazing ministry group that I've worked with before. They're, they're awesome. They've helped lots and lots of, of adults and teens through the years. You see, the honey is sweet and delicious. We want, we need more and more and more of it until it bankrupts us. Or our kids' brains, they get rewired. There's a whole study out there how it rewires brains in many ways. At an early age can lead to physiological and psychological types of effects that are there. And sometimes that doesn't even show up until the adult years. If it starts in those teen years, it can, it can lead up to that. And then, of course, it can ruin many, many marriages. And I've seen that as I've done marriage counseling with people. And when people are gut-level honest, sometimes it comes down to this particular issue. See, oftentimes when we think of lust and pornography, we think of it as maybe just a male-only struggle. And without a doubt, it definitely runs rampant for, for men. In fact, I go as far as to say that it affects every guy sitting here today in some capacity, and we must do something about it. Or what it's going to do is it's going to wreak havoc and continue to wreak more and more havoc inwardly, and that is expressed outwardly. Sometimes you think, well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just getting a quick, quick fix here. It's not, it's not causing any harm to anybody, but in essence, it is. I used to do a study with, when I was a youth pastor for many years, I did a study with teens called Every Young Man's Battle, and we'd get together with the high school guys, and we'd say, okay, guys, we're going to try to keep each other accountable. Then I did it with, with older men, like 30s and 40s. We had every man's battle. Now I think there needs to be another book written called Every Grandpa's Battle. Okay. I'll leave that one with the grandpas eventually. Because there's something that goes on sometimes as a struggle. It's a battle that can rage. But the thing is, you've got to keep battling. That's the key. You can't just give in. You've got to realize there's a war for your soul. And if there's a war for your soul, you've got to battle using the armor of God that he gives you, Right? Too many people just give in completely. What's interesting, too, for women, though, as I did a little study here, Kelly Needman says this, for most women, the lust battle is birthed in the emotions, the idea of emotional intimacy and sensuality that can be a lot more tempting than a naked body. For women, it's not so much the body, per se, as it's that emotional connectiveness it's that, it's that romance movie. It's that romance novel. It's, ooh, the knight in shining armor, the GQ guy that just says all the right things. And so you want that emotional connectivity to be there. But here's the deal. No matter if it's undressing a woman that's not your wife with your eyes or desiring emotional intimacy with a man that's not your husband, lust is always wanting something that we can't have that we can't have, but somehow we're going to take it anyway. I'm not supposed to have it, but I'm going to take it anyway. That's not God's desire for us, is it? But here's the, here's the good news. We've given you some bad news. Here's the good news, though. Liberation. That's the next one. Liberation. We've had the lust, but here's the thing. You can be set free. How do we get out of this prison? It can feel like a prison. I've talked to so many guys, they feel like I'm in this prison. How do I break free of this? 
Well, we talk a little bit about this right here. Jesus was speaking about what it would look like to embrace heaven now. In his life-altering message called the Sermon on the Mount, he deals with something very important. And this is Matthew 5, 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. One way to translate bless or blessed is happy. It's not a feelings-based happiness, okay? Rather, it's a happiness that comes when we approach life the way that God intends, and he gives us a joy, gives us a purpose within our hearts, right? It's to live with a clean and blameless heart, right? Jesus says it results in our ability to see God and honor him and honor him with our lives. When it comes to the purity of heart, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a, an amazing man of faith for years during the Holocaust time period, said purity of heart is to will one thing. In other words, if we want to be happy, if we want to live this, this good life that God's got for us, if we want to have liberation from lust, then we must make purity of heart our one thing, right? It's got to be our one thing and pursue it. Like our freedom depends on it. A lot of times we're really good at pursuing lots of different things. We can pursue sports. We can pursue music. We can pursue movies. But are we pursuing truly a pure heart before the God who sees everything? What are ways that we can do this? What are ways that we can do it even right now? A wisdom book that we'll look at in a few weeks is Job 31, right? Job... 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Isn't that great? He made a covenant. So one of the things we could do is learning how to make a covenant. Job was serious about this issue that made a vow, a commitment, that he wouldn't lust after another woman with his eyes. For he knew that his eyes and his heart are connected. There's a connection always with what you're seeing and what your heart is experiencing. That connection is real. He knew that, and he wanted to keep his heart pure. Did Job struggle with lust? I'm sure he did. Of course he did. He's a person, just like all of us. But he vowed to God that he would not live this sort of life of lust. That's a big difference. What would it look like for us to take the issue so seriously, so seriously that we would make a promise before God himself that we won't live a life of lust. Will you mess up? Sure. But there's a difference of wanting this and really wanting to make a true commitment, right? A vow before God sends the message, sends that message of, I really want you, God. I want you, God, more than anything else, more than any addiction, more than any little self-gratification. I want you. I want to pursue you. I want this purity of heart where we say and we mean that from the depths of our soul, right? But we have to have accountability with this. James 5, 16, great verse. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need someone safe in our lives that we can confess to that's going to love us, that's going to help us, that's going to keep us accountable. I praise God I've got a pastor friend that we have been accountability partners for 29 years. I'm so thankful. He asked me the tough questions. I ask him the tough questions. 
And it's good because sometimes we kick the tar out of each other and we need that. We need to have one person, it doesn't have to be 10, one person that's going to keep you accountable, especially in this area. It's going to be there, right? There's also going to be a class that we're doing. I'm all about next steps. I'm all about action points. So we're going to do a, a, a class that's going to be led by my good friend Ken Rawson is going to lead this, and it's called uh, Sexual Integrity 101, okay? And it's going to be a completely confidential group, completely confidential, but he's going to lead this. And here is a, just a, a quick little video here. True healing and freedom from the effects of unwanted sexual behavior is possible. But for so many, the path has been littered with failed attempts, short-term solutions that don't work, and tons of shame carried the entire way. A lot of us have never heard the words that you have to be perfect, but most of us have experienced the idea of you better not screw up. Satan's lies are all about accusing us, about keeping us stuck, keeping us in shame. We know the feeling of powerlessness that sets in when you promised you'd never go back to that old behavior, but you found yourself there again. I was binge purging between being at church three times a week and serving on the women's team and the worship team, and then going out on weekends and hooking up with somebody. We know the feelings of betrayal and hopelessness that overpowers our ability to function day to day. I was just mostly in shock. I just wanted him away from me. Because of the trauma that I was experiencing in my first marriage, my brain was grasping for any amount of control. But we believe that this course is the first step toward breaking free and finally feeling hope and confidence that change is possible. When you really get under the surface of our sexual issues, we find that we are all so similar as human beings. Why well, stop and start to experience sobriety and freedom, then the truth of who God sees me as his loved son who he delights in, no matter what, started to be able to sink in. This course will combine biblical truth with practical tools to create lifelong change. We know this because each of us in this course has experienced this firsthand, and we've seen hundreds of thousands of other men and women break free, heal their relationships, and really get their lives back. Awesome. You know, I hope you're going to consider maybe joining this study. You know, if that's something that you would want to join, just text integrity to the number that we always have. Just text that. Once again, completely confidential. Finally, most importantly, we don't have to be defined by shame. We don't have to be defined by guilt that comes with lust. For Jesus came to the earth to what? To free us. To free us to give us life beyond the grave. There's forgiveness for everything that we've done with our minds, with our hearts, even our bodies. Jesus himself, he took all of our sins upon the cross, right, for all of us. And because of his great love, his sacrificial love for us, he doesn't want us to stay in that cesspool of sin all the time. He wants to liberate us. He wants to provide freedom wants to provide strength that only he can provide. We're going to switch into communion now. And as we go into this, maybe you're here today and